This is Combino Memory with Hoop Dream Basketball, and I'm on the No Bad Shots podcast. All right, let's welcome to No Bad Shots. My guy, my trainer, my mentor, did everything for me growing up basketball-wise, Combino Memory. He runs a AU program in Portland. You train out of Portland still. I mean, you're you're well connected in the area with basketball, and I appreciate you stepping on to talk with us, man. How you doing? Pretty good. Thank you for bringing me on. I mean, you're a big you're big time now. You got like ten podcasts. <laughs> That's what everyone says, time. man. Everyone's saying that to me. It's not. It's not like that. It's, I got two, and you know, we're, I'm doing it, trying to make it work. You feel me? You're a natural at it, man. That's what like just watching how easy you just transition into it. But that's how how you always talk basketball and just life. Like you, you know, a little bit about a lot of stuff. <laughs> very little, but not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very very little. But uh, I yeah, I like to scan the horizon for all the, all these little different things that you know catch my attention. It's probably probably a little bit of ADD too. Mm-hmm. But um, let's um let's just jump right into this. Um, so you've been entrenched in the Portland area high school basketball for how many years now? Twenty years, pretty much. Going like going into twenty years. So you've had chances to train and coach a lot of good players, and like, how did take us back to where it started? Where where did that start for you and those opportunities? Well, shoot, me playing, and that's where I got to see kind of how that model went. And like when me and Eme and Kendrick and all of us came up through with AAU, like all we had was SEI, self-enhancement. And that put together two teams. And if you were good enough to be one of those 20 players, they did an all expensive you know, uh, trip where they would take you to Vegas or to Phoenix. And that was your AAU for the summer. And you had to go really play well in that couple of weeks right there and, and prove it. And we thought like, oh, when we get older, if we could ever do something like that, we we want to like – spruce it up and, and be able to uh, get back. And once Eme got to the NBA, he got in his contract through Nico to do an AAU team. And that became I-5 Elite. And it was like this little stuff we'd already talked about in the past. And then it all came together there. Um, and then you guys were one of the first groups. You know what I mean? You were kind of came on the second year, but you guys with Moe's and T-Mac and um, Larry and, and all those guys, you know, a lot of those, some of the names didn't go on, but you guys were one of the first groups. And once we opened it up, then you got the Terrences and, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's Nigel. We can go on. There's tons of names, uh, but that's what opened up the door. And just kind of trying to keep that Portland tradition going. We always felt like guys like Damon, you know, uh, helped open the door for us. And it's like our chance to, uh, pay it forward and pass it on. So we really care a lot about seeing players move on um, and being able to be a, a part of it. It's crazy. I mean, I've seen to see where you went from to where you're at now. You got to understand how that does a number on my on my <laughs> head. <laughs> you know? Let's start with where he started, like one scale of one to baby deer, like how how did Steven start off into where he is now? He got coordinated, athletic, great, you know, high IQ for a basketball player. Um, take us into the details of Steven's projection. Well, you did it well because it was Steven. That was his name, Steven Madison. Right. That's that's what it was, Steven Madison with the PH. And uh, I remember seeing him up in his sophomore year at the state tournament. We were looking for players to have come to, to try out. And saw him up there. I thought Tacoma he Dome. Tacoma Dome, baby. Tacoma Dome. Mm-hmm. He's up there performing. I want to say who you who you're playing against. I can't remember. Like but Richland, Richland, I think it was. It was a competitive game, but you were just making smart basketball plays. Like I don't remember if you even won or lost. I just was like, oh, okay. Yeah. He wasn't the most athletic enough, but he had really long arms and he just kept finding the open man, he kept having a knack to get to the ball. We brought him to tryouts and he performed really, really well. Um, but the yeah, it was like a lot of baby deer. Potsy went from where he jump rope like every day to the next thing you know, he's windmilling. <laughs> when he was telling me, I didn't even believe it. Like, and I'm dunking out. I said, man, stop lying. You can barely <laughs> touch the rim. He's like, no, you don't understand. I'm dunking on people now. 
Um, so <laughs> like you got to really jump into real uh, a real work ethic. I don't know what he was doing prior to meeting us, but he jumped into that. And when he jumped, he got to see like how that built his body and mind up. But he already had a, I mean, I think basketball IQ and conditioning are the two most powerful traits a player can have. You know, and he had a little bit of both of those. I think a lot of the IQ, the conditioning, he was starting to find that out. But it's interesting you say that. So when you talk basketball IQ, where do players get that? Because it's it's hard because I, I get talked to a lot about that, especially like dealing with college kids. And it's like, how do I translate my basketball IQ to a kid? It's, and it's it's not it doesn't just happen. So explain no. explain where that comes from and how how people develop it. Is it a really young age? Is that where it has to start or like where does that start? Well, how one player acquires it could be different from any angle. I think somebody like you, you know, I'm sure you're probably talking basketball with your cousins and your and your dad, um, your sisters. You're watching a lot of basketball games. Like to me, that's the biggest way is like just watching it. Um, you know, if anybody's just watching DeAndre Ayton right now, I don't care if you're a guard or a big whoever, like the way he's playing, just energetic it, with high conditioning and high IQ. Um, you can learn how to play the right way. Then if you want to go to a higher scale, you look at Chris Paul. And that's a lot. Of, you can just mimic that. You don't even have to really know what he's doing. He's taking his time. He's ball faking before he's passing. But then passing it on to somebody, I think you got to look at from situation to situation. Um, you know, if we're looking at a pick and roll, how are you going to play that as the, a ball handler and a screener? Have you just looked at those two players or have you looked a step further? And I'm starting to find out, you know, 90 plus percent of players don't look a step further than that. They're just in this moment of what to do. And I'm talking about WNBA, NBA on down. It's having a high IQ is not like, ah, you, I got that. More people are athletic than they are Definitely. as a high IQ player. Definitely. Um, That's a unique skill for sure. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Keep going if you have more. Extremely um, unique. I was just curious with with all the NBA talent that you've coached and seen make it uh, the coaches you've coached around that are now in the NBA. What is a determining factor? Do you see guys with just a different kind of work ethic when you're working with them? Do you see them develop it? Um, two part question. Have you also seen guys that don't have a crazy great work ethic, but they still make it? And what happens to them at the next level? Yeah, um, I, I think it's a, a must have to like keep your career going, uh, to have an IQ, um, to just be athletic and get in there. There's lots of players I've seen do that, but I think it's always going to come back to bite you in the butt, um, at some point in time in your career. And it's like playing with fire. You don't want to do that. I mean, just speaking candidly, he went to school and is close with a player that, you know, I felt did that. He already had an IQ, but Terrence Jones was somebody that, Man, things came so naturally to him. Think of it as from our perspective, we got to work for stuff. If you're a person that was highly gifted and things were easy, what's telling you to work harder? Great point. So it's like, I always try to put myself in their shoes then, but it's like also this, now we're presenting this option to you that you know what, man, you're really, really good. But if you did this, you could be even better. Why not take that? Um, and so it's at that point, but I think enough things happen. Every player in their career hits adversity that hopefully wakes them up and lets them know like what's most important to focus on. You know, it's not, it's lucky to keep moving on in your career. That's not like a given. Um, sometimes you can be good enough and that door doesn't open up. So I think you gotta be willing to take any opportunity, um, but you're seeing, I believe when it really boils down to it, conditioning and IQ are like the separators. Um, this might not be a popular opinion, but you're telling me KD's in peak condition? Kevin Durant, peak yeah. condition. Peak, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. He was really- Coming off the Achilles? Yeah. You think he's not? You're saying he's not probably. Well, I think that even with that, we can say that portion, but I think that they're, they're across the line where it's like, okay, I'm back, I'm ready. And then now how many players really push it to the limit? Mm. 
And but you got to also see situations like this to see where that limit was at. And I think he recognized that. I don't think he wanted to shoot a turnaround with eight, nine seconds left. No, um, definitely not. When you played against Ime in his prime, when he's in attack mode, is he settling for something like that? He's no. going down your throat, pushing the ball down the floor, you know? He's getting a layup. <laughs> and he's going to turn around and press you full court. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Do you understand that? And then get the rebound of that in. And that, and so you got to find out where these walls are at to know to go past them. And I think that uh, like a player like Kevin Grant, he's not going to exceed that because he's just saw that wall. Most players, once they see it, they're done. They don't want to go near that again. Why do you think that, though? Just because they're just in a comfort zone? Potentially, yeah. That's why I study a, a guy like David Goggins. Talk about taking mm -hmm. people's souls and stuff. It's like, <laughs> well, these guys, these, this is another human on our planet. This isn't like an alien. So yeah. if he can make those choices and different stuff, like, well, what, what about us? And uh, that that's an athletic pursuit and a lot of stuff he's doing with his ultra marathons and stuff. And if we could take little pieces from here and there to help us be the greatest of what we could be, um, you got football players that probably study basketball players. You got, I know me as a basketball coach, I study football coaches. Um, there's different ways you can, you can continue to improve and you, you got to be willing to be open-minded. How many people read books, Patsy? A lot. How many, how many books? Are you, this I, 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 oh, you're talking about athletes. I think everybody just say everybody in general, uh, probably not, probably not a lot. I've Especially not in college, yeah, not high school, yeah, nowadays for sure. And and th this is crazy because you were always someone at a young age that were giving us articles, giving us books to read, giving um, us things about, hey, this is how this person trains. This is like I'll never forget. I, I don't know where we were, but we we're on a plane. You hand us a thing about Chris Paul and how he leads his team, how he'll yell at you, how players have to accept it, and it, and it at, that's at a young age, and that's like that was a lot different. It's a lot of different things that we were reading at that age than I feel like most AAU teams and most high schoolers are doing. It's interesting. Yeah. We're only in our own world. How would I know what they're doing in Ohio? I can like read some of that stuff and go, oh, I heard they did a, a thousand jump ropes. I mean, you guys got to do 1500, Patsy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, Unless we're there, we just do. But now that we've been around it, and this might come back to part of your question like earlier, Alyssa, because now we got some of these people like Eme and these guys are in these positions. But it's like, as we started to be around the game for so long, I'll be honest, I started to figure out, man, people really don't work that hard. Like, whoa, mm -hmm. like, whoa, like. It's a lot whoa. of talent. It's just talent, people a lot of talent. Whoa. I'd be like, we're just from little Portland, Oregon. We're not like New York. Like, man, we work harder here. It's like, he's from, Van he's from this dude from Prairie, Salmon Creek. <laughs> Like, think of what that sounds like. That's not yeah. Damn a Creek. Yeah. That's not tough. Like, no. You got to see what real authentic basketball is like, no matter what. And you go, how's that? Well, look at where people ended up at. You can't do fake basketball and end up at the real deal. You know? It's very I'm true. Curious, with, since you've been training for a long time, I've always been interested. There's trainers in my area that will say that you can't coach kids the same kids aren't willing to maybe push themselves to a certain extent. Do you think that's true? Or do you think there are kids that are outliers? Like, is this generation any less mentally tough or, you know, than five, 10, 15 years ago? I don't want to be that old man that like takes that other stance. I think part of the issue is maybe us on this end that we go like, oh, they're, they're different. I just mm -hmm. do my best to coach this group in 2021, the way I did Potsy in 2008 and 2009 and, uh, and challenge them. And that's what most of us coaches on this end don't do to the players. If it was a consistent challenge, where are they going to hide and go to next? You know what I'm saying? Players transferring or doing that stuff, or I'm going to go to this AAU program. And so I can only look from my point of view. I challenge kids when they come in the gym but where I'm not going to have 50 kids in my gym um, because people have options now. Um, so I believe players can be challenged now. I believe, and I believe the real players desire, like I just worked with a group of girls not too long ago 
And I asked the girl, so you want me to be easy on you or be hard? And she said, I want you to do whatever you need to do to make me better. I don't know if I've heard somebody say that. I think I probably wouldn't have said that to you when I was. No way, Jose. But we just, I mean, you also did push us and we accepted it in a way, you know, obviously we challenged you back. And I feel like, like you said, I bet there was times when you were younger that you were pissed off at whoever was doing whatever to you. So it's like you said, it's kind of, you can't be that old guy saying, Oh, well we did it this way. It's like, mm -hmm. we're all in that position. Sometimes it's like, man, fuck this. Like, I don't want to do this like type thing. But, um, let's talk about the little bit of when we were in AU because yeah. it was a different situation. Like, I try to tell people to like explain it to them, like how I said, um, you gave us articles to read. We did 25 push-ups every time someone got an offensive rebound in practice. We did <laughs> we did 17 sometimes. Like I'll never forget, we did push-ups the the like it was a Friday practice. We did push-ups for every rebound. We probably did 500 push-ups. I could barely do a push-up at the time, so I was dying. Still can't. Still can't. Oh. Next day, get <laughs> <Hello>, Melissa. <laughs> Next day, we come back and instead of push-ups, you're like, we're gonna run nines, you know, and sometimes seventeens, depending on that. And you know, we had guys like G Jack, and you know, some guys are like, hey man, stop getting no boards. Yeah. But it actually, it it was just a unique way of how we were able to come together, and I didn't think to me, it didn't seem like any other AU team in the nation was doing what we were doing at that time. So talk about like your approach to us at that time and with that group of guys. Yeah, which because you guys are so unique and it's like you don't know it. I can see you guys are talented, but even above that, just even your personalities, the way you guys all click together, um, all that different stuff. But all you guys in your own right had a little bit of like alpha male or ability to kind of take over and do what you needed to do. I just knew I needed to keep like you're okay. We're saying your talents up here. I got to keep the challenge up here and just keep keeping it in front of you. And I really, um, cause I know how good Kendrick was with us yeah. together. So I didn't care about being the bad. That's, our, that's our assistant coach. Ken John. Kendrick yeah. Williams. He, he runs. Our, so, go ahead. Just so people who are listening frame of reference, what are recognizable names on the team, Steven? Like, who, we had what, we had Terrence Jones who played for the Kentucky Wildcats, played for the Houston Rockets. We had Stephen Holt played at St. Mary's, and now he plays professional many years. This was in Romania last year. Yeah, we had um, Jordan Rayleigh played at Washington State. We had Mike Lunin, right? He played tight end at Yale. Yale football. Yale football. Mm -hmm. We had um, Kenneth Acker who played football at SMU, and then played in the NFL. We had um, Antoine Hosley played Division One, Division Two, plays in Europe. Um, Garrett Jackson, who played at USC, transferred to St. Mary's, played in Australia. Now he's on assistant coach at the Spurs. We, we who else did we have? We had um, I'm trying, I'm blanking. We only Here's were like eight. Tony Holton, yeah, who's Tony Holton played at Concordia Division Two school, all time winningest player there. Leads a school in steals. Now works at White and Kennedy, which does all the advertising for Nike. Yeah. And Terrence Ross was part of our team for a little bit, ended up not playing, which is crazy how he is where he is because <laughs> his road to where he's at is unbelievable. But yeah, we were a definitely really talented okay. team, probably top 10 team in the nation. So that's definitely like, top 10 guarantee. So yeah. So back to what you're saying, just kind of give people a frame of reference of our team and, you know, our mm -hmm. success for sure. Yeah. And just keeping the, the, um, the challenge in front of you guys, I didn't really care if you didn't like me, like, that's Whatever true. It was, I had that, that's very true, though, because I feel like that's a really big problem now is like being likable. It's like really I don't know if it's the coaches that are, a lot of guys just want to be likable. I don't, but like he definitely so didn't want to be like he didn't want to be liked. <laughs> I tell you that. I mean, for real, like you guys could. You know, I know how young guys would go, oh, man, he thinks he's whatever, whatever. You guys go have your thought process. Me, I just didn't care. I just knew that we keep put, keeping this challenge in front of you guys. You guys get better. And if we could keep winning. You can see how that works. Once we got into July, it took a life of its own. We could kind of at that point step back. The machine was going. And we, I mean, we had our, we won a couple tournaments early in April. We went down to Little Rock. I think we went to Elite Eight there. These, but in my mind, we're underachieving. We we're in yeah. Elite Eight out of like 350 teams, 500 teams. Then we go to um, King of, the, uh, in Akron, LeBron's tournament, yep. the King James tournament. We went lead eight, lead eight there. Um, then we come back. We win the Rose City Showcase. 
or no, 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 no. Final four of Memorial Day. Yep. Where we play down there. Then win Rose City Showcase. And then we get to July. It's like I think we had enough challenges. It just took you guys just really, man, we went, won the tournament in Vegas, center stage, go to Phoenix. So that's what, nine games we won in Vegas. Then we go to Phoenix, losing Elite Eight there, but we won 12. I remember being really upset and then, like, had to pause and go, these guys just went, like, a week and a half winning games. Like, not just winning and playing. Like, the championship game, we played, like, five games in that same day. Yeah. So I was just really proud of them, man. But it was a special group, and most teams don't take that challenge and then play together the way they do. I mean, Looning was taking charges. Uh, you guys rotated. That's what I would have talked to college coaches. They'd be like, "Man, these guys take charges and rotate." Man, it's like they're like they're a college team. Um, that's <laughs> not normal for AAU teams. These guys, you know, they gamble and you shoot bad shots and throw alley oops off the backboard. I mean, we did that stuff too. But they really played a good, smart brand of basketball and played for each other. Rayleigh, like you said, went to Iowa State, went to Washington State, played pro. Might have averaged four or five points. But but it's like you can impact the game in so many different ways. They all were – it was a team. So um, special group. In order to have something like that, you would have to have nine to ten players that are talented but also willing to be challenged to then – to do something like that. And I feel like we've had enough talent around here, to be honest, but you can't get them all together and then want them all to take that challenge. Uh, maybe one or two will, but not a whole group. So that's what made you guys special. I know a big goal for coaches is getting your guys to play at the next level or to continue what they're doing and to continue to have passion for playing basketball. Uh, I, I would totally regret not asking you what just happened the last year with COVID, these guys not getting a chance to play in front of colleges and maybe some guys that you thought could have had the best, you know, summer of their lives and maybe gotten a scholarship somewhere. What happened to the kids in your program and the kids that you saw across Portland and the country? What What is, I guess, the status of that? And is it going to affect them um, for a couple years? Yeah. Well, that, I don't do any AAU now. I'm connected to it. Uh, right. through Kendrick Williams, who who was helped us start I-5, but he now is the director of Rose City Rebels, which is a Nike EYBL team out here. So there's a lot of kids that didn't get to play AU, kids that I worked with with Hoop Dreams that didn't get to do stuff. But my challenge to them was uh, at this time, this is a chance for you to open up and be more proactive. The coaches can't come see you. So now you got to present whatever you need to present to them from your game film from during the past season. Um, And I kept trying to challenge players to do that. Some took me up on it and those players got multiple offers just from doing that, from contacting coaches, but probably 90 plus percent of them didn't take me up on it because of that nervousness and all that, which, cause it was different. But my thing was you can't go play AAU now. So you can't get it the normal way you're supposed to get it. So I know that maybe like, think about it, Potsy you're getting contacted by the tons of D1. But then if I'm going, you're not going to play AAU this year and you want to go somewhere, hey, you need to contact 25 schools a day. Here, you know what? I'm even going to provide the numbers for you and the email addresses, but you need to contact 25 of these guys a day. That would have been rough for me. It would have been rough for me, for sure. And especially like how I was nervousness and then like awkwardness and even just talking to coaches at that time was tough for me. So I know for sure I wouldn't have done that. And you're well a recruitable athlete. That's what I'm trying exactly. to point. Exactly. He's a D1 guy. He's a guy that's mm-hmm. an all-league guy, a player to your guy. So, uh, uh, what, a second all-time in the league? Where are you at? Yeah, third. You, Vic, but yeah. yeah, Vic, Vic and then me. But, yeah, it, that is interesting that you bring that up because it is such a different time. Like, even being a, like a JUCO coach now, it's like, you got to send it out. Like you, we don't, we can't go see you. I mean, the high school seasons are scrunched into three weeks, four weeks. Like, well, you as expect? a college coach, Patsy, if you got, let's say two players, one, you, you think he's good enough, but you kind of reach out to him. He never really reached out to you. You got this other player and he just hits you with something once a week. Boom. How you doing coach, man? Sorry. I didn't catch you. I just want to leave you a message, man. I'm just, 
Uh, I'm out here getting just got my workout done, just got done playing against these college guys. I'm in high school, yeah. you know. I mean, whatever you get, you hear the yeah. energy. Uh, here, I just sent you a game film. Here, my buddy was uh, recording uh, uh, Dan Dick Allen, you know, what I mean, like yeah. some people were up there playing, and you yeah. see, whoa, man. I just think the energy of a person being a go-getter, and here's the example I use. It's not a basketball one. I go, well, man, think about Eminem being 17 years old and having to fly across the country to go and sit in the studio with Dr. Dre. Oh, my God. Level of nervousness, <laughs> level of all that stuff. Yeah. And even if you do do what you do, and he goes like this, pow, hits the beat. Hey, Come on. I want to, you know, he's waiting for you to hear something. And you know what Eminem does? He's, he comes out and goes, huh? my name is, huh? my yeah. name is, huh? yeah. Yeah. yeah, stop it. Oh, we got a hit already. Exactly. But that's doing what you naturally do. Why is that? Because I think that he was just sitting there and had notepad after notepad after notepad where he was writing. And it's like, oh, oh, they're, they're ready? <laughs> like, yeah. that's why I think the 8 Mile is a vignette of him showing you, man, this is what I really lived. If you put a battle or something, I was ready. Yeah, I was ready exactly. because I trained. He practiced. He rehearsed. But how many how many guys do you think are like that? Because like even like I said, how many of those guys have came through even your program of? I mean, I can think of a few that I even was with, like someone like Nigel Williams Goss. That's someone that is exactly like that. Like if he had to hit up a hundred coaches a day, he would have definitely done that. Like that was, even being the top one of the top dudes. That's what's crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even being one of the top dudes in the nation at that time. But like, how many of those guys do you even get? It's like, it seems like a rare breed. No, and I get that. I get that. I just think that you have to, about your approach, have to have some go-getter to you. I'm not saying yeah. you're going to get the Eminem home run and all this stuff, yeah. but you can't tell me, man, I want to go to college. Okay, I need you to hit these coaches. Come on, bro. You want me to hit the coaches? They supposed to recruit me. <laughs> I mean, that's almost like what you're saying in layman's terms. Yeah. So I'm going... Okay, well, there's no AAU. They can't see you. Yeah. So do you want to play? Yeah, I want to play. Contact them. Because 10 other kids aren't contacting them. Some and those 10 other, those ten other kids might be better, too. They might be better. The 10 other kids might be better. But if you contact them, you might get that shot. I think that this, like, we could go to any walk of life and show this example. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? It's Very like true. it's not usually the best – Man, he, he might not like me saying this, or maybe he will, but Ime was that guy. Yeah. There was a lot of guys more talented in our era of basketball than Ime. Ime is like the best. Keep knocking on the door. Boom, boom. You're not going to open it? Okay. Like, I'm Andy Dufresne, you, you know, from Shawshank Redemption. I'm just going to keep writing a letter to eventually, yeah, here's the money. Don't never write us again. Well, he got <laughs> what he wanted. We got to build a library. Yeah. Um. I'm not saying this be spelled, but just the continuing to not stop. That's what will get a lot of people to where they want. So it's like, that's the stuff I'm trying to teach people, not as much as some of the other stuff. If we can get you going down that road, like that's like actively learning, actively pursuing learning or being better. Persistence is so, so huge. So the other thing that that reminds me of is really really important is confidence and i think for me it was something that my coach believed in me before i did and like pulling that out of a player is so hard what have you found as something that's really been helpful to pull it out of a player do you have a shining example that kind of comes to your head of like a player that you really helped them realize their talent at the time and really take it onto the court and like what do you think is important because confidence is is a really tough thing either you have it young or you you don't and you can get there, but I think there's just so many different types of kids. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I partially don't agree with that, Alyssa. I don't okay. think people can give you confidence. I think you got to have some of it already in there. Maybe we can like pump it up a little bit more by saying some stuff, but if you don't have none of it, it's like, you're not going to do it. So, mm -hmm. and to your, to answer your question, I think just to keep it direct, I think with Potsy, he was a good player um, before dealing with us. It was like now crossing that line. Can you be great? Can you exceed great? Um, I think we opened his eyes. You know, I think I think I helped open his eyes um, to some stuff. And once it's not you don't just I'm pushing you to hold. Once you open that door and you open their eyes, I think a lot of the players 
they just they want to keep uh, propelling forward. So it's like learning that balance that once you kind of get them through there and then give them a chance, like they fall back, I can kind of nudge them forward. But that you learn that as the art of coaching and teaching. Um, I didn't have to give you everything, Patsy. No, <laughs> you no. saw like you working harder on your conditioning and doing just simple jump ropes and consistently shooting a few times a day and doing some ball handling. It's like things just tightened up. Next thing you know, he's windmilling. Well, exactly. I don't see your confidence, but building the confidence was you doing coming there four days a week at four to five thirty and doing these routines, and then you see them do well in those four days. So you just take them home and start doing a few more days on your own. That's where the confidence comes from. It's it's not random, you know. Um, it's not one day somebody gave you some encouragement and you got it. You got to buy into the process and do this stuff each day. And that's and that ties it back to the Eminem, like him writing his lyrics and stuff every day and rapping. Like opportunity comes, that's where the confidence comes from. Yeah, but what do you? So what do you talk about then, guys? That because I've seen a lot of these. They work on their game twenty four seven. They do all these drills and then they get out there and it's just not there in the games. It's like they you they. It's like that open gym guy. He can give yep. you forty in open gym, steps on the court. Is that more of a mental thing? Is that like, what is that? You know what it is that they don't know the game of basketball. You can know drills and do all that stuff. Like knowing the game of basketball, how do you affect a unit? How do you play with four other players? Do you understand what the other five players on the other team are doing, whether you're on the offensive, defensive ends? Like that's just knowing how to play basketball. That open gym stuff and that training, that's not real. That's like rehearsal and open gym, even though it can be competitive, it's not a true depiction, very far from a true depiction of what real basketball is like. And you know that. Let's take a second from our episode to talk about our sponsor, the everydayfan.com. I love these guys over at the Everyday Fan. They write, they talk sports, they got everything you need, whether it's the NFL, NBA, or even the EPL League, they have got you covered. But they do not stop there. From pop culture to wrestling and entertainment, they have something for everyone. With some of the best writers in the game, come get a fresh perspective from everyday fans like yourself. Go check out their podcast. Everyday fan sports podcast they have. It's unbelievable. They got all the information you need. Go check them out on a daily basis. They're posting, tweeting, everything all day, every day. Everydayfan.com. Go check them out. Um, but it, it, it's interesting, though, because this is what I tell people, too. So when I was at Idaho, obviously at a Division One level, you're training all the time, like all year. So you come home. I would always have whatever, May, uh, three weeks in May, three weeks in August. And I, I honestly wouldn't even come home and do workouts. I'd actually go just play at Portland with like Eme, Aaron Miles, those guys. And every time, just playing every day with good basketball players in the right way, I would always come back in summer more ready than anyone else on our team every single year. Thank and you for funny. saying this, Patsy. Because it, it, it's, it's crazy because it's like, obviously it's good to put in time. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I put in a whole year with you and it changed my game forever. But at a point it was like, if you're not trading, if you're not playing with good players too, like you said, not all open gyms are great. But when you play with the guys at that level of like professional, it changed me every year. It made me, it made me more ready every single year, and I came back better every year, which was it was really interesting to see that for sure. If you play competitive basketball up and down, now you don't have to really run your seventeens and your suicides and miles because you're playing hard. Why? Man, I had to sprint really fast because that guy was about to score to score a game point. I saved it with a block or I stripped it or something. You'll do that. You know what I'm saying? I had to chase that rebound down. Like you're going to play really hard. So now that puts you in better condition. If you do that, like you said, four or five times a week, then you're going and playing in a program or this summer league. Um, so you got some stuff with referees. And then at that point, like I'm starting to narrow my the teaching down to just – you just need to do this. You don't. There's a lot of this fluff out there. Okay, I bet you worked on your five spot and your elbow to elbow. Yeah. You do a little ball handling so the ball feels good in your hands. You go. Where are you doing your passing? When I'm playing. Yeah, getting game shots, game reps. I mean, even if you, you don't, don't get as many injuries, shots, but driving kicks. Yeah, for sure, for sure, man. So this. That has to be. Go ahead, Alyssa. I want to hear. I got to hear what you got to say. Well, I was just echoing the same thing. Like it, it makes me think hearing you guys talk about open gyms, like not every kid 
takes the initiative to go find open gyms and has the confidence to actually insert yourself in them, you know, like slightly higher competition. Like Steven, you're playing with college kids, maybe when you're in high school or like when you're in college, you're playing with these NBA dudes. Like that changes your confidence level too. Even if you're not overly pompous about it, if you're giving them buckets, that's going to give you confidence. And it's not every kid that wants to take that time to go out and like be outgoing kind of on a basketball court. I'll definitely say that because it's like, like you said, if you're a high schooler and I go play with college kids, like we used to go to P-State when we are in high school, I could score two or three buckets, but the confidence I will have when I come back to play against high schoolers is like, these kids ain't shit. Like, I, <laughs> I, I it. It, it, it's the truth, though. And then it's like, it was the same thing. Like, okay, I've been playing with these pro guys all summer. I come back to Idaho. It's like, what, what makes these guys can guard me? I've been doing it to better players. And it, that's a confidence booster for sure. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean these guys aren't going to be good that I'm playing against, but it's just my thought of process of going against you. Like, okay, well, you can't stop me now. Yeah. It's a really interesting thing. Like, your confidence. Exactly. And <laughs> you got to step out of your uh, zone. But let's um let's switch gears. Though. I like what Alyssa just said, though. That was a powerful point. I know it might seem like it went under the radar. Being proactive and putting yourself into those tough situations. Potsy. There's footage on Rivals.com in 2008 or somewhere of you getting two J's by um, Tyler Honeycutt. Tyler Honeycutt <laughs> I knew to make us move. <laughs> so the point is because he was playing up on 17s, playing his, getting his head bust and getting these tough no. things happen to you where you got to feel bad. But then no, hold on, can I, can I tell the story though? Can I tell the story? Yeah, okay. R.I.P. Tyler Honeycutt. Too. Yes, he passed away. R.I.P. Um, oh. Yeah. So we play whatever it was, pump and run, probably one of the best teams. They were stacked at Elijah Johnson. They were really good. So we're playing them. I'm a sophomore. I'm young. Tyler Honeycutt's one of the best players in the nation. And I played well that game, but I gave up two big buckets towards the end versus this guy. And we lose. He happens to be on our flight. He happened to be on our flight after the game, and they did not let me live it down. And I know he was—he didn't even want to hear it either. He—he he was just kind of like, uh, like shy. Ime and you were just like, oh, you busted his ass. He's literally sitting like a robot. That's the dude right there. You see that guy right there? That's the yeah. one you hit him like this. You hit him he, it was on Rivals. <laughs> he was doing it this was to me. And I'm a sophomore in high school. Lives on the internet. For real. Oh, that's funny. He was out there like contesting the shot, and it's like, and we used to scream. Get your hands up. Get your hands up all the time. Oh, but man. him learning that lesson brought him back yeah. in his junior year, being the being the, the Tyler Honeycutt to some other young guy or even a guy his grade. Yeah. Taking those 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 punches those for things sure. In the chin. Yeah, man. Like you were that proactivity and putting yourself out there, that's a big one. And not a lot of people do that and going and finding open gyms. They want to ask me. Go find it. You can get out. There's probably an app you can find that has open <laughs> gyms or something. Like, get out my face. 24-hour fitness, LA fitness, go. And the more you go to, the more connections you have to other ones. Like, it's just a network, completely a network. Um, you talked about wanting to shift gears. Drop them down. I'm preaching. Yeah, <laughs> You're preaching out here. <laughs> it's all you. Um, I am curious with – I want your opinion on the one-time transfer rule within college athletics – and how you think it's going to affect kids thinking, as Stephen and I talked about it, like kids thinking the grass is always going to be greener on the other side, where you are, if you're not getting what you want here, you can get it at the next school. And how that doesn't get tiring, I guess, for coaches, because you have that unique coach mindset. How does that not get like exhausting for coaches thinking like, I could recruit this guy, spend my whole 4th of July only worried about this one dude wasting my vacation then two years from now he's going to be leaving to another school like i put so much time into him he could be gone yeah it's it is exhausting i mean i've seen what that's like just from the aau perspective where people can come in and come out but at the end of the day i think it ends up still same thing there's something that that player is leaving or running from it's not like that coach was a bad coach it's something they're running from that's internal that they need to fix you can go to this next spot and that next spot, but it's it's still with you. So now, oh, you made it pro. You're going to have to figure it out here, probably even times 10. Like you would have rather figured it out freshman year in college or in high school. But now because you're figuring out there's so much more weight attached to this. Um, I, I, I know you know what I'm talking about, Posse, but so it's 
those things don't change. Like you got to figure out what you need to figure out and, and be business like about it if you want to move on to these uh, next levels. So these kids that are doing that, they're just only going to hurt themselves. Uh, but the really one the kids are going to hurt is the high school kids because now it just pushes all the power up into college. You, they can transfer back and forth. You got fifth year transfers, all this different stuff. And especially in this year in particular, because all the players this past year didn't have to use their years. It was just a free year. So most everybody's coming back. So now you got the players that are still coming out of high school that are, hence me saying, you better be being really proactive because you're just the lowest on the totem pole. Like they don't even need to worry about you right now, which I mean, I don't want somebody to say, hey, you don't matter or you're like, you're nothing because you're a high school kid. Like these kids right. still want to move on. Uh, but this is the way they got to do it. But what does it teach them? Um, tough minded, being proactive, being resilient, uh, being able to speak up for themselves. Close mouth, don't get fed, whatever. We can keep going on and on. So it's not like you're like, I'm losing because I had to call the coaches or. Um, but I, I, I hope Patsy had that that situation come to him. Remember? Yeah. The Utah deal. Yeah, I've talked about it uh, with people before. I don't know if I talked about this. Yeah, I think I did talk about this. So, you know, potentially transferring after my freshman year. And I got I got hesitant of it. I was like, ah, like, like I tell guys now, like, it, you're starting from the bottom. Again, that was my biggest thing. Was like, I already went through a whole year of training. I already built trust in my coach. I knew I was going to be getting as many shots as I wanted the next year. And I tell guys that, like, and who knows? Maybe my career path could have been completely different if I went to Utah or transferred out of my freshman year. Which you know, we'll never know. But. It's definitely interesting, and I, I think it's really going to hurt the growth of guys because of all the transfers because I feel like there's going to be less four-year guys that are going to be at that school particularly, and that was a big help for me is these these programs are built, and I, not everyone's a pro that's going to be able to play right away or get out of college right away. So those guys that are there for four years that taught me right away what we're doing here is huge, and I feel like yeah. that's going to be – it's going to be really limited because then you're going to get guys transferring in from other schools – and they're going to be basically brand new, but they're going to be three years older than you. You know what I mean? Like you kind of brought up. So I think it's really that's the IQ, what you just said. You said what? The older guys, when you came into school, it was hard. And these guys made it really easy for them. They talked to me, pulled me aside. Nah, don't no, you got to trail them on that screen or whatever the case may yeah. be. Isn't that basketball IQ? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you're not going to get that, especially because – when you have a guy transferring in that's brand new, you guys are fighting for the same minutes when you're coming into a situation where a guy's been in this place for four years. He's not worried about what's going on with you. He's worried about, you know, making sure we win and making sure you grow. But that's that's the that that's where the problem is going to come in. And then now you throw on top of it the name image likeliness with the money. It's going to make everything way different. So give us your thoughts on that. And are you like going to try to prepare your guys for this? Like guys that you train, yeah. are you going to try to prepare them to like take advantage of their brand? Yeah. Why not? I think yeah. that this is the world we live in. Yeah. Like I just was telling myself, I got to like get my, my study. On. I got to get this right because um, I would love to help players go down that road to take. This is the world we live in now. Um, but like Patsy said, if that you got all these kids transfer around, you don't got any chemistry. Um, it's really hard to 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 build develop a camaraderie. Who are you playing for? Like, um, but yeah, the name, image, likeness. I I think it's fresh, um, but it is going to present an issue or a problem, and that's going to have to be on the coach to to monitor all that stuff. Just like with cell phones, just like with social media. Just I mean, but the social media is going to help a lot of these players. Oh yeah, make good money, and it won't even matter now if you're the best player or the worst player. Which is, could still cause some issues. Yeah, but you say issues, but that's already happening. And people don't realize, like, the money is already happening in college basketball. These guys are getting money under the table. It's yeah. known. It's coming out way more. I think that's why the NCAA wanted to push this along faster so we don't have these huge investigations of the Kansases, the, the Arizonas. Issues, yeah. Arizonas, yeah. But these guys already know that's going on, but now it's just going to be more public. So now, as a player, it should motivate you. Like I, I saw uh, the Oregon football coach came out with a huge long thing. I don't know if you saw that, but you know, he talked about it, like basically saying Cristobal, the head coach of Oregon was basically saying like, you know, it's going to cause issues with these guys. 
you know, because a lot of the there's especially in football, the top of guys are going to get a bunch of money, yeah. and the rest of the guys are not. And but it just brings you to that pro life right away, and yeah. you have to realize. But is it going to be able for these eighteen year olds? Their mindsets. It should motivate you, like he said. No matter what, your game has to be at its best because you're going to get the more money now. And it, but like, there's going to be some crash and burns for sure. I can, I definitely know that's coming. You said it just accelerates. It's it's like almost like the AAU in college or something. You get what I'm saying? Like it's like yeah, younger AAU has accelerated the process. So now that you got teams that are second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, it's like it speeds that process. Now the middle school teams feel like they think they high school. Once you're in high For school, real. they already think they're college or something like, do you get what I'm saying? Like it's just accelerated things so fast. So it's only right now, but with the money being thrown out there, if your head's not on straight, it don't matter that you're a basketball player, football player, how good you are. If your head's not on straight, like Alyssa said, you're about to crash and burn uh, really bad, but you'll just learn that lesson earlier now being richer than you would have been at 18 than before. Um, but it could be one of those really bad lessons. Cause it's just like being in the pros when you got all that money, you're in one context, like this is your life. And then you get thrusted over here. <laughs> but what is your context now? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? It's true. I think it's it's going to be a reality jolt for sure. And I, I th the cool part is that it, is it will help like the non-revenue sports, you know, like a, a lot of the female sports are going to get female athletes that have these huge social media followings that can make money, you know, and that's fantastic. But I also worry about, you know, are we focused too much on our brand and our image? Like, are we too focused internally rather than because you know, social media is the biggest thing. Like I'm not, I'm not going to mess around if I'm a company with a kid, maybe 1000 followers, you know, like you're going to go for the Jalen Suggs or the Chet Holmgrens or like the, you know, it's just, yeah, I feel like it's going to put a heavy emphasis on what you decide to share with the world. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be like business, like, yeah, like the Kardashian or whoever, all these people get paid per post. But then now, yeah. like you just said, you're, um, I haven't followed her game as much this year, but like deep down, I kind of feel like, uh, what's her name? Um, Where's she at? She plays for the uh, um, the, the Stars, the Las Vegas Stars. She's been doing a whole lot of modeling and stuff lately. Oh, the big, the Cambridge? Las Vegas. Cambridge. Like, Cambridge. Just Cambridge. And stuff. But it's like, yeah. you know, it's almost kind of like when Shaq was rapping in the middle of the season, like, I'm, like, I'm not taking nothing when she's really talented, but it's like you start seeing, like, I feel like I see a lot of the modeling uh, – now you don't want that to take away from like what uh you're here from i'm not saying that that's uh hey, like, like once you get focused on one thing now that you start making money in these other areas and you like you said building the brand but we're talking more from a college um perspective once you're a grown adult once you're a pro you do what you do like yeah um, I just you, don't, to, you don't have to go to class you don't have to do all the using that as a framework because you're gonna have I, I want to talk about the women. I like I'm big on women's basketball right now. I think that that is the shit. I think yeah. they're gonna change the game. Like you see it right now. Um, it's just like people not deciding. Oh, I'm just not gonna watch that for what reason? This is in the fabric of basketball and women's basketball. Is some of the highest IQ basketball. Period. I'm telling you, get your dog on hands up. Uh, a potsy and you watch UConn, it's like they go to sleep with their hands up. You know, it's like um, they do it 100%. They're not doing it yeah. like 50%. What is that? Are they just born with something different? Well, it's interesting. So, we kind of talked about this on the phone the other day. Um, someone that you trained a lot, someone I played with, Mike Mosier, who was he, he was a player development for the Mavs took the, a coaching job as a women assistant at Oregon and kind of talk about, we talked about how the things that he was dealing with in the NBA players till now switching to women's, like talk about that transition for him and the difference in it. Yeah. Well, it was like time to kind of what we were talking about earlier, but uh, he loves basketball. Everybody don't just love basketball, but he wants to teach and he's given information and he's like, these guys at the NBA, they, I mean, they just pick and choose if they want to hear it. And it's like, because I just don't like this 
that situation where I want it to be where if I'm helping, trying to help and teach you that you're taking the information um, from what I've heard, because I haven't coached women's basketball in college, but the girls, the women listen. And he's like, man, it's been wonderful since he's been there. He's like, just with the player development or anything. And he's already landed like three players recruiting. I, I he's, just said that he's been there like two months. Kelly. Yeah, he's like Kelly Graves. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I'm excited well, to see what they do. Well, he sought him out. And that's the thing. I said, Moe's, he's like, oh, I might go to DePaul with, uh, with um, Stubbs as an administrative assistant. I said, man, you're tripping. This dude has hit you, and you need to go coach basketball as an assistant coach, be a coach, and, and go there. And now he's there. This dude's landed like three players. I go, Moe's, that's not normal. I just need you to understand that as a coach, being there just period. It's not normal yeah. being three players in a summer. You just got there. You just got there, man. He doesn't even have his roots there yet. Like, that's incredible. But wow. it's not stuff that I would doubt in him. You know, there's bias where I've been around him and see it, but just to let it give him perspective. But he's just like, man, he just enjoys it. Um, shoot, my man Aron just hit me the other day because he had a job with Hawaii. Like, Wanted to talk to Mosey about potentially taking that. Like, you know, one of them things right now. Yeah. I said, man, I'm content. I'm sorry. I said, man, sit your butt down and coach these girls like you're trying to win the national championship right now. All that other stuff will take care of itself, man. Yeah, for and sure. That's the problem, too. People trying to, huh, huh. Yeah. Grass is green. Yeah. I'm glad you stayed at Idaho, Potsy. Yeah, for sure. Never would have known Alyssa. <laughs> we wouldn't be sitting here right now on this day. No, we wouldn't. Um, <laughs> one more thing I want to talk about is um, obviously Ime Udoka, head coach of the Celtics, was like a mentor to me, someone that I talk very highly of to whoever I talk to, someone I got to watch on a daily basis. There's not many people like him. Probably I've never met anyone really like him. Someone that had probably like you guys would always tell me, I don't know if you're lying to me, less talent than I had. <laughs> but just work harder than would <laughs> worked a hundred times harder than I did. But tell him the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you're that? obviously you're his best friend, and <laughs> he has one of the most extraordinary stories. If you guys have um, listening haven't um, heard, I mean, obviously people have heard of it because he's in on the Celtics. But if you look deep into what he's been through and the stuff he's gone through, um, it's actually it's honestly amazing. I mean, coming from Portland. Yeah playing at JUCO, Portland State, NBA, and now the head coach of one of the most historic franchises in the United States. Talk a little bit about that and just just your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, shoot, man. it's Ime used to come to school every day with uh, hoop shorts, a cutoff T-shirt, and a fatigue jacket with his big afro in high school. And that's what he walked to school every day. And you're like, why is that? Because he's ready to throw that dang on jacket off and play. Like if you needed to work out or play at any time, it didn't matter if this was winter time, summertime, nothing. I, and I say that because it's like you're not gonna meet too many people like him. That consistent pursuit, um, straightforward. You know, you go, well, well, why is he believing himself? Man, the dude consistently does stuff day in and day out. You guys got lucky to be able to to play against him. His intensity and how he competed against you guys, like. You probably didn't meet that much of most mm -hmm. anywhere else. And it wouldn't matter what the talent of the person was. So that gave you a, a framework or a baseline to then uh, go out from there. And it's like, it's no different with him as a coach. I mean, the dude in one year was in the finals. They lose. This is his first year coaching. Second year is coaching as an assistant. They win the finals. Um, I don't Spurs. think that's a coincidence. Yeah, with the Spurs when they were playing LeBron in Miami. But he knows how to impact winning. He would always say, I don't know if you remember back in the day when we were doing I-5 and you guys would go take, say something like, he's like, get the hell away from me, man. He knows the coach. I ain't got nothing to say to you. <laughs> He'd say, for real. And introducing Emei Yudoka to Boston Celtics. <laughs> yeah. But, Wait, uh, Steven used to reject advice from him? No, he would reject us talking to him. Oh, you know gotcha. yes. Yeah, he okay. would be like, I'm not a coach, man. Go ask Bino. He's the coach. <laughs> well, that, that's why I tell people. Wow, and now he's. He oh. started those, like, he started doing those camps and getting certified as a, a coach that year that we were on AU. 
which is insane. Now, you remember when he well, because he coached Jonesy, and man, I got the stuff around here in my laundry closet. He used to come back and give me like the playbooks and the stuff they do. I got videos of him getting up and going like, yeah, you know, doing like a play. He was like, man, they'd show us how to do plays in a huddle, and and it would be um, this the NBA Players Association that runs it. So you got all former players, coaches, all this stuff. So you're right. That summer, and he coached Jonesy there. So yeah. he started going that. So he started keep going back each summer, um, doing that while, while he's playing. While, while he's he was still playing, playing. about yeah. three or four years while he was still playing. So like people don't know this stuff. He as a player and wasn't sure, but he he loved basketball so much he knew like this is going to be a hard transition for me. Like if I don't stay in basketball. He didn't really know what else he wanted to do. He never had – he was like, man, I worked here. He didn't have no jobs. Like, if you ask him, the only job he had is when he tore his ACL um, from coming out of college. Remember, he did training camp with the Blazers that 2001 year, went out, played in the IBO, the Fargo-Moorhead Bees. He tore his ACL for the second time. He came back. He worked with me at FedEx. We worked from 2 a.m. to 9 a.m. unloading packages. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> No, the head coach of the of the uh, <laughs> Boston Celtics. I don't even know if that story's ever been told unless he said it. His brother, who worked at FedEx, or me. And I don't think <laughs> James has ever been on a podcast or interview. I don't even think he may knows James Udoka. Oh, man, he may working at FedEx. That's insane. People um, don't know the. Then he would go work out. Say that again, Alyssa. Oh, I just said people don't know the behind the scenes grind. Like people think these jobs are just kind of given out. You just kind of like slowly make your way up and up and up, but you got to be doing all the things to supplement. That's, I mean, and that's why I hope like these type of medias show that we can present like that whole picture, the behind the scenes. I would go home, eat, go to bed. He would get, because he was still up, work out, then go to bed. But maybe he had to have to build a routine while he was out because he wanted to get back and play and just play professional, but play in the NBA. You got to think of that. I just told you it was his second ACL. Yeah. So wow. amount of resilience. And then his, his sister, Umfan Yadoka, played in the NBA, uh, WNBA with countless teams. Wasn't um, that the first uh, first brother-sister pairing to make the WNBA? In the WNBA, NBA, because, uh, yeah. Because the Millers, there she wasn't. The WNBA wasn't going on then. Well, no team. So they were. I mean, that's all these little ironies or little tidbits that you like. That's crazy. I mean, the first in history. Yeah. yeah. First NBA and WNBA brother and sister. Same time. Um, uh, Tana, she's in Nigeria right now. Um, she works for like the Nigerian Basketball Federation. She played in the Athens Olympics in 04, and led the Olympics in scoring second in the rebounds to Lauren Jackson. Um, but this was back then. But she is now like, you know, like an executive member in the in the uh, Nigerian Basketball Federation, I think, helping prepare them for uh, the girls. Hey, for the Olympics. She's feisty. She uh, tell her. <laughs> she, so you uh, may couldn't make her tournament in uh, Akron. And uh, we had an early morning game. The guys didn't get up and did not. I actually showed up to play. Me and Garrett did. We both had like oh, you balled game. I had like 30 or something. But half our team didn't. She was in the crowd. And they came. she came after the game and said, take their per diem away. Don't give them any <laughs> food money, nothing. Yeah, she said a lot what? of different words we might be able to share. Yeah. But <laughs> she said a bunch of different words. Oh. talks like a slaver. Oh yeah. yeah, she was honest, and I like uh, I'm sitting there like, oh, damn, I played hard. Like these dudes just didn't wake up for an 8 a.m. game. We lost yeah. the team. We probably shouldn't have lost to. It was King James too, and they yeah. didn't win nothing that year. Yeah, but yeah, she, she 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 took our money away from. We had to beg to get it back. Get email. She was in charge of the funds. At that time, well, she was just there because Ime couldn't be there. He's playing, so she was kind of like the head of the head of the head of the team. Whatever she said, when I was going with, I wasn't gonna fight it. I was more money for us to get stakes. So I was like, yeah, take that damn for DM. They didn't win anyways, man. We're out here in Akron for an extra day. <laughs> That's awesome. Akron. Like, Fantasy land. 
Yeah, Trump. at least we're going to be playing, but no, we're not playing. Remember, I told Potsy, man, you made us stay an extra day in Vegas without playing because you decided to cuss out the lady. Oh, man. Foul, make us lose in the bracket play. That's probably my only technical in my life, and it was the worst time technical. Cussed out a ref? Cussed no, out a ref. I was on the baseline. I said, what the? And, and, and a lady go. ref, too. Oh, yeah. she's like, mm-mm. <laughs> I'm not taking hey, that. Security had to get wild up in there. People were, were not happy. Yeah, Ime was mad. <laughs> Dom was mad. They were holding them back, police, security, because we lost by bring that ref. We were up by 20 at halftime and, and, and lost by like five or something because all those free throws and stuff. And I, I told Pots, I mean, he sold me like 475 from that tournament fee because <laughs> we we were supposed to move on in bracket play and you made us lose <laughs> on purpose. For, for on purpose. <laughs> Control your attitude. Such an anger management problem over here with this guy. Um, Last opportunity for any other embarrassing Stephen Pozzarella stories? There's probably – we could talk all day about those, but – You got your name in Akron, I think. uh, Okay, hey, this is actually funny, though. So That's where it happened? Yeah. Sophomore year. Yeah, happened in Akron. We were just watching Emei play, actually. We were watching the game, playoffs game, Spurs – and you just randomly called me Potsy from Happy Days, and uh, it just stuck. Everybody in the room started calling me it. Then, like from that day on, it just stuck. Yeah, and that's. But, but remember when you if he, if he like acted up or wasn't doing what he was supposed to, you're like, man, your name's Stephen. Yes. <laughs> no, no, that that He's definitely that definitely happened. Um, the next year after Peach Jam, because I didn't shoot the shot. I'll never forget that. I had a last second shot for me to shoot. And these <laughs> these dudes, I didn't really shoot it. I, I still regret it. Um, yeah, I didn't play good that tournament, and like guys got a bunch of offers off that tournament, and it was probably because stars because yeah. Potsy. The reason I was so upset with you that game is because you destroyed them when we played them in Atlanta. Yeah, I did. You, you like you you destroyed them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 30 something. And then that game is like you're like pump faking and stuff. Oh man. <laughs> they called me Steven for they're like, don't like anytime someone would call me Potsy, they're like, stop, stop, stop. I think the I think the other story that probably no one knows was um we were shooting dice in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> so always we, a good start to a story. We, we would we were gambling and um I lost my money. I don't know if it was to email or somebody. I lost it to somebody, and I had like a prepaid card that my parents gave it to me, and I exchanged it for cash to shoot dice with. And then the whole t- I lost it all. I had to take everyone's bags to the car to pay off my debt, and then they took we took everybody to the movie theaters on on me because email won all the money, and he's like, "This is on Potsy." Everybody Put it on his card, and then everybody brought their bags down and just set them there. And I had to load them up because I owed like twenty bucks. He's like, "All right, dollar." Oh bag. my gosh! There's I just told that story to T Mac today. He was with us, and my buddy Jamil. Uh, I told that story. I was like, "Man, we went to go see Next Day Air on you." Oh yes, we went my to the guess. movies too. My guess. He was like, "We're gonna go to the movies, and then yeah, have Potsy take care of the bags." It's enough on there for the movies in the bags. And then everything they buy, like popcorn, every time turn around. This is on Potsy. Yeah. Everything on Potsy. This is on Potsy. Here you go. So think of that right there. Just like that's the busting of the balls, like getting on you and stuff. But like everybody did that. To me, that's like mental toughness training. Um, it was. For she sure. didn't like, I'm like, oh, man, leave me alone, man. Forget you guys. Blah, blah, blah. Like it's just – the normal whatever ribbing or something, but some people really break down to that stuff. I think we just did it so often that that then became the norm. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of those stories. Like obviously, T Mac, John L, and L A. When they lost all their money, that was they didn't want to talk to nobody. No, but they, we definitely had some good times, man. And there's a lot of like you said, I a lot of guys would break down for sure, and I've seen it personally with guys. You, you say. Cause I, you know, I get used to it as a person, like, you know, you throw jabs at people and they just don't take it the same way. You know, yep. they, get, they get real defensive and it's like, man, it's not about that. It's like, that's not where I'm not even in that world. What are you talking about right now, man? Yeah, like, ex- exactly. Exactly. But I'm uh, just joking, but I don't want to say that. Yeah. 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 
I would definitely, I would definitely characterize you as humble, Stephen, like someone who can take a joke really well. And it's like really fun to make fun of you because you take the joke so well. Yeah, because of these guys, because I just sit there and took it for freaking three years for sure. <laughs> um, last question from me. Yeah. More so because I want to, I love picking coaches' brains. What's the like most recent thing that's kind of like inspiring you or like the thing that you're thinking about more often and like waking up and thinking about um, and like, improving other than like i'm definitely gonna be listening to some eminem and like jump roping every day after this podcast what other things are you thinking of right now that are are motivating you um well it's like something that's been a rubik's cube for me the past few years I, like i said i'm just trying to narrow down and through the pandemic it really accelerated what do players have to learn what are the most important things because there's so much fluff out there and uh do they need to learn skill yeah but I think even prior to skill, we need to learn conditioning and basketball IQ. I feel like the way it goes is it omits those and you go right to the skill and, and not even basic skill. You go to advanced skill, which further confuses you and you don't know the game. So that it's just this narrowing down process and, I, and it's conditioning IQ and then basic skill, basic skill. Can you make an open shot? Can you make a layup? Can you go off a two foot, right, left, whatever. Um, and then I, I, I read books. So that helps keep opening up my mind. <laughs> the one thing that is probably most uh, fascinated or I'm obsessed with right now, and Potsy said earlier, is, is cryptocurrency. Crypto. Um, yeah. yeah. I've just been studying that, that a lot. Podcast. Say that. I said we need to get we, that needs to be a whole other podcast. <laughs> you tell me when, but that's just something that's been on my mind. But I want to figure out a way how that comes back into um, basketball. Yeah, um, for sure. And learning kind of this digital media stuff, like me and Potsy talk a lot about. That's trying to figure out uh, with these podcasts, with doing um, online courses to teach basketball IQ and stuff. So hopefully, in the that's next year, the words, the worlds collide. Yeah. Together. Crypto, crypto and back screens with Bino memory. <laughs> yes. Crypto dreams. Crypto dreams. Crypto dreams. <laughs> hey, man. Well, we really appreciate this, man. This is awesome. It's Thank always you. fun to chop it up, man. I mean, we can go for Thank hours, you. man, just talking hoops and good old times. Please, definitely. And then, um, Potsy, you already know if there's anything I can do to help you. Same with you, Alyssa. Um, she, you can get my contact info from him, but whatever I could help you with. In basketball, um, you got a real great analyst type voice. Like, perfect. <laughs> like your voice is off the hook. Like you're prepared for this. So keep doing your thing, Steven. Appreciate it. No, she's you. you, Alyssa. She is. She is a pro. She is a pro. She yeah, is like I'm saying, like you got a great voice. Like it's like your voice is dialed in for this. Like keep keep pursuing that. You're on to something. Thank you. Yeah. She'll, be on ES, she'll be on ESPN in no day. Don't, don't, no, worry. like, don't seriously, but you're nice. Yeah, I'll definitely you, keep pursuing it. Conversations please, like these with the, the best minds and the motivated minds, we got to stay connected. Pots and pans, you a natural man. You already see how it's happening. It's fun, I bet, too. Oh, yeah, it's definitely fun to talk a bunch of shit and uh, you know, talk some, something real, you know. Hey, mozzarella. Pots <laughs> So well, we appreciate, appreciate your time. it, man. Awesome. Anything you need, man. You already know what time it is. <laughs>